I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Chapter number 2 is where we're going to begin. Acts chapter 2. And I know you're getting comfortable and situated, but when you find your place, could we just uh, take our Bibles and stand together to read the Word this morning? Let's grab our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and you want to put your eyes on a on a page and put your fingers on the paper, there's, there's Bibles available in the uh, book racks underneath the chairs. You are welcome to use one of those today. I've got a lot of scriptures and so many of these are going to be on the screen. But I'm going to share several verses at the beginning here out of Acts chapter 2. And so I want you to find your place with me there. Did you find it yet? All right. Amen. Amen. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Father, as we stand today with the Word of God in our hands, Lord, I just ask that you would uh, let the Spirit of God breathe life into our hearts. Lord, we believe this is more than just something you have said. We believe it's something you're saying. And your Word declares, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What the Spirit of God is saying to the church. And so, Lord, we're listening today. Lord, anoint my lips in this time that we have to receive from you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated once again. Hold your place there in Acts chapter 2. I want to tell you a story, something funny that happened to me recently. Um, There's there's a song that, that we sang in the church, really, I guess all of my life. And uh, it's a powerful song. Many of you probably know it. It's called, He Touched Me. It's a song, that the verse says, Shackled by a heavy burden, beneath the load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. And then the chorus, He touched me, oh, He touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me and he made me whole. It's a beautiful song. And, and w- whenever I sing that song, not only do I have fond memories of, of times growing up in the church, but I also have mental pictures of stories in the word of God, like the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood, who for 12 years had this infirmity. And then she heard Jesus was coming to town. You remember this story? And the Bible says that she was so determined to touch The hem of his garment. She pressed through the crowds. She touched Jesus. And at the moment she touched him, she was made whole. When I sing the song, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. I think of those moments. I think of stories like blind Bartimaeus who called out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus came and he touched him and he made him whole. Now, I tell you that story because I had something funny that happened to me uh, several weeks back. And I shared this with a, a few folks. But I don't usually mow my lawn on Sundays. I don't usually do any, any work uh, at home on Sundays. I, I preach and then I go home and I, I rest. I take a good old Pentecostal nap. Anybody with me on that? You know, know what that's all about. Yeah. 
So this was a unique Sunday because uh, I had just had a really busy week and I didn't have a chance to mow my lawn and it was a life group night and some of you were coming to my house and I was embarrassed by the way my yard looked and so I decided I have got to go out and mow my yard. So Sunday afternoon, I go out and I crank up the lawnmower and I'm out there and I'm, it's just me and Jesus. I mean, I have quiet time with the Lord because nobody tries to talk to you when you're mowing the lawn. And so I'm just thinking about the service that morning and I'm just, I'm just having a good old time and I start singing, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And I'm just thinking about all those things that I think about when I sing that song. And so I'm just mowing along and I'm, I'm singing, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And have you ever had one of those moments where you're singing a song, but you're doing other stuff and you're not really thinking about what you're singing? And you're not even singing the song in order. In fact, after a while, I realized I've been singing the same line to this song for like 10 minutes. And then it dawns on me on the other side of my fence is my neighbor. And he's listening to this. And all I'm saying is he touched me. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And I start realizing how crazy I sound. He doesn't know that I was shackled with a heavy burden beneath the load of sin. And he doesn't know the hand of Jesus touched me and now I'm no longer the same. All he knows is that his neighbor has some issues over there. He's thinking about calling for help because I'm just walking around saying, He touched me. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. I got to thinking about that leading into Pentecost Sunday. And I thought, you know, that's how a lot of people are with their perception of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They really don't have any understanding of the depth of what God wants to do in your life through the Holy Spirit. All they really know about Pentecost is maybe a a, a little snapshot of somebody else's experience. Somebody else that's talking about what God did or maybe something they saw on the outside. And it had no more spiritual influence than than me walking around my yard saying, He touched me, He touched me, had on my neighbor. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about this gift called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I want to sing the whole song today, all right? So maybe there's a part of the song that you know and you like and you've had an experience with God and you want to jump right to the chorus. But I want you to stay with me in the word of God for a few moments because I want us to get the whole song. All right. I want us to understand what exactly it is that the day of Pentecost is all about for the church. And I want us to understand from the word of God what it is that God wants to do in our lives today as his people. I don't want you to leave this church today like my friend on the other side of the fence. I want you to have an understanding of what God has for us in this place. And I do believe he has something for us today. If you didn't pick up on a theme yet, it's Pentecost Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday and the day of Pentecost was a significant feast day in Israel. It was one of three major feasts. It was the second agricultural feast For the people of Israel, it's a harvest festival. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks. But we don't really celebrate Old Testament feasts in the church. And so while there's a lot of uh, significance to that, I'm not going to take time today to go into the Old Testament and explain the Feast of Weeks to you. I, I will just mention to you that the Feast of Weeks was 50 days after Passover. 
The word Pentecost simply means 50. And that's where we get the name. Pentecost happened 50 days after Passover. So in case you didn't know it, Easter was seven weeks ago. That's, that's where we're at on the calendar. And, and that's when the day of Pentecost comes. You'll have to forgive me if I'm making you thirsty, but I'm still battling a cold today. So I'm just going to keep drinking this water. The Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal fellowship. What that means is that, that we believe that on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't just the birthday of the church in the New Testament. We believe that the day of Pentecost was a day that initiated an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church that is still available for us today. See, I don't want you to be concerned too much this morning with what God did in the Old Testament on the day of Pentecost, but in what he did in the New Testament, and that's the scriptures that we just read in Acts chapter 2, that God poured his spirit out on the church on the day of Pentecost. And I believe that that moment was the initiation of a promise that God wants to fulfill in all of our lives. And I'm going to show you that in the word of God. I want to talk to you about several things, but I just want to begin with this promise. If you're still there in Acts chapter 2, look with me at verse 38 and 39. After the Holy Spirit fell in verse uh, 3 and 4, Peter and the others went out into the streets and Peter began to preach to the crowd that was gathered there. This is part of his message. It says in verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what we talked about earlier in communion. And he said, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at this next verse. He said, this promise is for you and your children and for all. Can we just say all? Come on, the rest of you. Can we just say all this morning? All. This is for you and your children and for all who are afar off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Now I want you to understand something here just at the beginning of this message. Jesus didn't preach about the baptism in the Holy Spirit very much at all to the crowds. In fact, almost everything that he said about the Holy Spirit, he said in private conversations with his disciples. Jesus, especially as he came close to the cross, he spoke in private conversations with his disciples about the Holy Spirit coming and filling the church. And the reason that he did that is because the experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to understand that this morning. If you're here and, and you're checking this thing out and you're investigating faith and you're looking into the, the claims of Scripture, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You need to understand this experience that I'm talking about, this experience that Jesus taught about is not for you yet. The good news is this. The only criteria that is out there for you to have this experience is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. It doesn't, you don't have to be saved for five years. You don't have to reach some level of spiritual maturity. The good news is the moment, the moment you accept Jesus into your heart, the moment you receive Christ and you're saved, then you are a candidate to receive this baptism in the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about. 
You, you might even receive it while I'm speaking this message today. And I say that because that actually happened in Scripture. In Acts chapter 10, that's exactly what happened. Peter was preaching in the home of a man named Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, the Bible says that all those that were gathered in the house were God-fearing people. They didn't know Jesus as Lord. They didn't believe that he was the judge of the living and the dead. But they were God-fearing people. And the word of God says that Peter came into that place and he shared the gospel with him. Now, listen to what happened in that very moment. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, while he was still speaking, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that was the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them. How do we know the Holy Spirit was poured out on them? Look at the next verse. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then... Peter said this, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. They hadn't even been baptized in water yet. They heard the message, and while the message was still being preached, they put faith in Jesus, and that is the only criteria to receive the fullness of the Spirit. It can be that simple for you today. If you believe... You can receive. That's the only criteria. If you believe, you can receive. God wants you to live a life that is empowered by His Holy Spirit. This morning, I want to tell you about this person, the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the power that we can have through the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you the purpose for why the Holy Spirit wants to be in your life. And my hope is before we end this service, I can share with you the pattern for how the Holy Spirit fills our lives to overflowing. But let me just drill down a moment longer on this promise. It's for you. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. Luke wrote about it twice. In the Gospel of Luke, he recorded these words in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus said, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Understand the context. Jesus has already gone to the cross gone to the grave, rose from the dead. He's appeared bodily to his disciples. And he's telling them, I want you to go to the city and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. This is the promise. Now, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And this moment is is the, the bridge between the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so Luke felt it was so important that not only did he end his gospel with these words, but he begins the book of Acts with the same information. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This is Jesus speaking. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus promised it was going to happen. So that's exactly what they did. They went to Jerusalem and they waited. And they waited. And they waited. They had a prayer meeting in an upper room for about 10 days. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And it's on that day when God poured out His Spirit, the fulfillment of the promise. And Peter stands up and he preaches to all these people. Now if you're still in Acts chapter 2, I want you to see something that Peter said in that message. Talking about this outpouring of a promise. He said in verse 33, Acts 2. Exalted to the right hand of God, He, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And He has poured out what you now see and hear. Now, look at that verse. That is a powerful verse. It communicates a lot to us. One thing it tells us is that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Can I just say that again? That you're not going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit because some individual prays for you that has a special touch of God on your life. You may have some uh, high-profile, famous individual pray over you and God can move. But I want to tell you, God can move just as surely if you put your own hand on your own head and pray for yourself. Because Jesus is the baptizer. It says Jesus received the promise and He poured out what you now see and hear. The other thing that verse tells us is that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, there's something that we see and hear. Peter was saying, look, there's evidence. You're witnessing it. And the people are wondering, what is this we're seeing? What is this we're witnessing? He says, this is the Holy Spirit that you see and you hear. Now, look with me there in Acts chapter 2. What is it that they saw and what is it that they heard? Verse 4, again, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. That's what they heard. Look at verse 6. It says, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. That's what they heard. They heard people speaking in their own language. Look at verse 11 through 13. Both Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we, they said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they said, they asked one another, what does this mean? So they heard something. They heard the word of God being proclaimed. They heard the praises of God in their own language. But they saw something too. And you have to kind of read into the story a little bit to understand that there must have been something very uh, outwardly emotive happening. Because the very next verse says this. Verse 13 says, Some, however, made fun of them. And they said, they've had too much wine. Now, why would somebody come to the conclusion that you've been drinking too much at nine in the morning if you're just standing there talking to them in their language? It's an indication that there was something out of the ordinary going on. There was something powerful that was happening. And these people apparently were responding to that moment, not only by declaring praise to God and speaking in languages that they hadn't heard, but the appearance, the impression upon some of the people, not all of the people, but some of the people, was these people must be drunk. And can I just say this morning, 
In every crowd, there's always going to be some people that want to discredit the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not going to spend this time defending what God can do to the some people. Because there's always some people. What I want you to do is take God's word at face value today. And trust his character to know that what God gives you is for your good. He has a work that he wants to do in and through your life. And a part of that work is a baptism in his Holy Spirit. This promise is for you. But let me talk about the person for just a couple minutes. The Holy Spirit is illustrated through Scripture in a number of ways. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a wind. He's typified as oil. The Holy Spirit's presence in nature is represented by fire. In Ephesians, He's represented as the seal on a letter of your life. All these different ways represent the Holy Spirit. But because of that, sometimes we can make the mistake of believing that the Holy Spirit is some some force or some non-personal power. We can believe that the Holy Spirit is just some influence that comes on us. Hear me today. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of Jesus. When you got saved, you asked Jesus to come and to live in your heart. Can I remind you, you were not inviting a 33-year-old Jewish man to come take up residence in your body. You were inviting His Spirit. Well, who is His Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling that we experience. He's not a vague influence or some imperceptible energy. He's a person. He has intelligence. He has a will. He has feelings. You know, some people that they misunderstand the Holy Spirit because of the terminology that we use. We say things like, did you get it? Or, oh, oh I, got, I got it, I got it. And we talk about the Holy Spirit like, like He's an it. But the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible says this, he, he, He's intelligent. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 27, look at this verse with me up here. It says, and He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Romans 8, 27. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It says he knows the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit has a mind. He has a mind, but he's intellectual. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said, will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Not only is he intellectual, but he's emotional. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that that the Spirit is grieved by our sin. He can be grieved. He's emotional. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 29, that the Holy Spirit is insulted when Christians take lightly the work of Christ on the cross. The Bible says he's grieved by that. He's insulted in those moments. The Holy Spirit has a will. The Bible communicates to us that He wants to be active in our lives. And can I tell you how He's active? He wants to help you. His will, His desire is to help you. In fact, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Helper. 
Some translations say the helper, capital H. Other translations say the advocate. But Jesus communicated to his disciples, it's good that I go to the Father. Because if I go away, the helper can come. He can help you today. John 16, 7 says this. Very truly I tell you. No, I'm sorry, let me go to John 15, 26. When the advocate comes, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he will testify about me. See, there's some people that they're, they're hesitant to want to experience the fullness of of the Spirit because they're unsure of who the Spirit or what the Spirit is. Maybe their perception is no deeper than, than, than my neighbor's perception of my song to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God and He wants to help you today. He wants to help you. Isaiah 55 verse 1 is a familiar verse. It says, Come to me all who are Thirsty, come to the waters. That's talking about salvation. When we get saved, we come to the waters. We drink in the Spirit. But there's another drink that is available for us. And Jesus talked about it in John chapter 7. Says these words. John chapter 7, verse 37. Says, on the last greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood... And he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this, John goes on to explain, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to this time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So listen, church, salvation is the moment where we drink the Spirit in. We receive the Holy Spirit in us. Pentecost is the moment where the Holy Spirit flows out of us. The rivers of living water wants to flow from within your life. The Spirit came. This promise that we see fulfilled on the day of Pentecost can be fulfilled in your life. Through the person of the Holy Spirit. But let me just take a moment and talk about the power. Why do we want this baptism? Why would we seek this today? The Word of God says that when the Spirit comes upon us, it indicates that it's it's powerful. As I just mentioned, when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, people saw it and they thought maybe the people were drunk. Something happened. They were changed in that moment. Can I just tell you that when you have a personal experience with God, it should change you. When you have a personal encounter with the creator of the universe, it should change you. The reality is there's a lot of people that they don't want to have an experience with God. They want to have a, they want to have a good moral teaching. They want to have some, some words of wisdom, some nuggets of truth. Maybe throwing a little nostalgia in there. What they really want, they don't want Christ to come and change their life. They're saying, give me some religion. Give me some pageantry. Let me have an experience that makes me feel good about who I am. But when you ask Jesus 
to come into your life. He changes you. The Bible says that all things have become new. The old is gone. It's a transformation when Jesus breathes life into a person's life. And it's no different when the Holy Spirit comes. When you receive the baptism in the Spirit, it's powerful because it's God who is invading your heart and life and the river of God that is in you, as Jesus said in John 7, begins to flow out of you. God's got a work He wants to do in you, but can I remind you that God's got something He wants to do through you. We're not called to just be containers. We're called to be conduits. We're called to let what God does in us flow out of us to touch this world. So he wants to pour his spirit in your life. There's two experiences that I'm talking about here. Salvation and baptism. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. I want you to see this because this is where a lot of confusion has come in the church. John chapter 20 Again, this is after the resurrection. This is Jesus with his disciples. Verse 21 and 22. Two separate experiences we're talking about here. With the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one. John 20, verse 21. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now look at verse 22. And with that, He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the first moment that it's been possible for the Spirit of God to live inside the body of His believers. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon people, unique individuals like Samson or or Saul or, or David or Gideon. We see the Holy Spirit come on people for a moment to exercise some supernatural authority. But the Spirit of God has never lived in a person because we're fallen and we're sinful and the Spirit of God can't live in a man. But now Jesus has gone to the cross. Now He's paid for our sins. Through salvation, we're cleansed, we're redeemed. And Jesus says to them in that moment, receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says He breathed on them. And they received the Spirit of God inside. Now, now, some of you, maybe you've seen uh, people do that. Maybe on TV, some televangelists, you know, breathing on folks. That's why, that's why they do that. They breathe on them because Jesus breathed. But listen, I didn't find a verse that told me to breathe on anybody, okay? If you breathe on me, the only revelation you're going to get is that I have a cold and after talking for an hour, my breath probably doesn't smell all that good. It's not going to be the touch of God that you experience. But Jesus breathed on them. And when he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the disciples had the Spirit of God inside of them. Everyone who's received Christ as Lord has had that experience. The moment you prayed that prayer and said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, it's like Jesus, he breathed on you in that moment. And new life came forth. You were saved in that moment. God did a work in your life. But there's a second experience That Jesus spoke of to these same men who he had just breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The same individuals. I already read it once, but I want to just read it again. Luke recorded the words. After he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to send you 
what the Father promised. This is Luke 24, verse 49. I want you to stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is huge. Jesus is looking at these men who are his disciples. And he's saying, you've been saved. The Spirit of God now lives inside of you. You've been personally discipled and mentored by me for three years. You have experience going out and preaching the gospel. They had even seen miracles. And now Jesus is resurrected as Lord. You would think there's nothing that's going to stop them from going out and establishing the church. But to these men... With this experience, with the Spirit of God inside them, Jesus said, before you go, wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. That you can be filled with power. There's something more that I want for you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 talks about that power. Acts chapter 1 in verse 8, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's power. Something's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's power. It's the word, it's the word dunamis in the Greek. It's where we derive the word dynamite. And so we have this sense that there's something explosive. That's going to happen. And and that's the key. That it's not the Holy Spirit in you. It's the Holy Spirit out of you. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit wants to erupt out of your life. It's explosive. It's powerful. It affects those around the same way it did on the day of Pentecost. But that word dunamis doesn't just mean explosive power. Really, the word means capability. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. When he baptizes you, he makes you capable. He makes you capable of doing all the things that God has called you to do. Look at Peter as an example. Just before this happened, you know, but when Jesus was on trial, we can all remember Peter as he was timid and afraid and some little servant girl came up to him at a campfire and said, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he was afraid to admit it. He denied that he even knew Jesus. But here, 50 days later, is that same man, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit and power, standing up before the very people that said, crucify Jesus, before the very ones that arrested him in the garden. And Peter is declaring the power of God. He's preaching the gospel. His life is changed. He had the ability on the inside of him. He needed the power to demonstrate it. We don't have any excuses when we're full of the Holy Spirit that we're incapable. Let me tell you, that speaks to the purpose of the power. Can I tell you that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not, is not so that we can just have an emotional experience. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a, a thing that we come to the altar and, and do and then leave. In fact, I I will go so far as to say that if if your influence as a witness for Christ, if the evidence of your life in Christ is not altered after that experience, then you may not have ever had a genuine baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because let's be honest, we can all be aware of surroundings. We can all be aware of things that are happening and we can mimic what we see. 
And there's a lot of that that goes on in the church. People can, can watch what other people are seeing and how the Holy Spirit's moving on them. And you can just begin to think, well, if I do what they did, I'll get what they got. And so you do what they did and you walk away outwardly looking as if God has done something. But in your heart, you're wondering, what was that all about? If it was really everything that Jesus promised, why don't I feel different? Why don't I have any more boldness Why isn't my prayer life have any more fervency? Why can't I witness any better? Why? See, we have to be careful that we're not just modeling after an outward experience, but that we're seeking Jesus, the baptizer. Here's the purpose. He said, after the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. All three of the synoptic gospels emphasize what it looks like to be full of the Spirit, and to be God's mouthpiece. Mark said it like this. Mark chapter 13, verse 11. Jesus said, Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now that's powerful. But but honestly, that also causes some confusion for people. Because... See, we we believe that when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence that God gives them of that baptism is that they're able to speak, as they did in the book of Acts, with new tongues. That God gives them a new prayer language. But when you read a verse like the one I read, it sounds like just what it says. It is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Well, let's get some clarity from Matthew. Matthew said the same thing. Slightly different in verse 20 of chapter 10. He said, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Okay, well, that helps us to understand that the spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the father. But it doesn't really clarify in a practical way how this happens. Is it me speaking Is it the Holy Spirit speaking? Is God going to like take over my life and all of a sudden just, you know, almost incoherently, I just start saying things that I don't even know what I'm saying? Leave it to Dr. Luke to bring clarity. As a doctor, he, he was more aware of what was happening in the physical body at the very moment. And he explained the very same verses in these words. Luke chapter 12, verse 12. For the Holy Spirit, will teach you at that time what you should say. So, yes, in that moment, Jesus said, you're going you're gonna to be persecuted as my witnesses, but don't worry about what you're going to say because the Spirit of God is going to speak through you. And Matthew said, the Spirit of the Father is going to speak through you. And then Luke clarified, in that moment, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you what to say. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you speak, Under the power of the Holy Spirit, it's still you speaking. It's the Holy Spirit teaching you what to say. And can I be honest? I've seen a lot of people that have pursued the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is is generous. He's a good God and the gift of the Spirit is free. And they received it. But they didn't know they received it because they never spoke. And they were told that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak with new tongues. But the reason they didn't speak is because they thought The Holy Spirit was going to speak for them. Let me tell you, 
The Spirit of God is not going to overtake your own will. He's not going to overtake your own ability. He's not going to move your lips and move your tongue and move your vocal cords. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. And let me just quickly share with you as we move to a conclusion this pattern. There's a pattern that we see in the Word of God. There's a danger in developing a doctrine off of a one-time experience. Case in point, Jesus breathed on the disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that I should go blowing on everybody. Jesus did that one time and there's people that have made a, a, a doctrine out of that. That that's the way to do it. Now there's some things... The Bible tells us we are to do that are demonstrative. The Bible says we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. If you come up to the altar for prayer, don't be surprised if somebody puts their hands on you. It might not be, you know, socially acceptable outside of the church, but the culture of the church is the culture of the kingdom of God. And the Bible says we ought to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So we do that. The Bible says we ought to anoint the sick with oil. And so sometimes we'll anoint people with oil. But we can't make a doctrine out of a one-time event. But there is a pattern that we see in Scripture. And when we see a pattern develop, we can learn from it. Here's the pattern that we see in God's Word. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, we read already that it says, On that day, the Holy Spirit was poured out. All of them, verse 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Again, they began as the Spirit enabled them to speak. You go to Acts chapter 8, and we see another occurrence. In verse 15, it says this, When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Again, these are new believers, hadn't been saved long. They prayed for them. That they would receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says this. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, verse 17 says. Peter and John placed their hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. Now it doesn't say right there that they spoke in tongues. But here's what it does say in the next verse. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands of the apostles. He offered them money. Simon was a sorcerer. He was a magician. And he saw something physically that happened when the Holy Spirit came. He was so impressed by it, by the, by the miraculous, by, by what he experienced, that he offered to, to buy the ability from the apostles. And of course, they, they said, it's not for sale. Let your gold perish with you. But the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and something happened in that moment. Acts chapter 10, two chapters later. Verse 44 says this, While Peter was still speaking these words, and I mentioned this earlier, these people hadn't even been saved yet. But while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. As he's preaching, they believed. Nobody laid hands on them. They just put faith in God. They opened themselves up to the Spirit of God. And the Word says in verse 45, those circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished 
Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. One, one more verse. Acts 19. Verse 6 says, When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. So what's this all about? The day of Pentecost, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to say it again, as I said in the beginning. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is to give you power to live the life that Jesus intended for us to live. Power to be His witnesses. Power over the temptation of sin. Power to live a holy and a righteous life. The Holy Spirit wants to fill the church Today, with supernatural power. You know, I think about all the the miracles in, in the New Testament. All the things that the Spirit of God did in the church. And we could, we could talk all day about the miracles. But there's one verse that the Holy Spirit has just impressed on my heart over the last couple of weeks. I shared this verse with our prayer group on Wednesday night. And I want to I share it with you now. It's in chapter 2 of Acts. Peter has just preached the message. 3,000 people got saved. And before Luke concludes the chapter, he gives us a little snapshot of what this Spirit-filled church looked like. What does it look like to be a part of a Spirit-filled church? I want to read it to you. It says in verse 42, They devoted themselves... To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All these things are are characteristics of a spirit-filled church. But the thing that God impressed to me the most, and I think this is extremely practical for you today, I believe this is the key to every other thing that the Spirit of God wants to do in and through the church. And it's the first three words in that description. Verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves. Can I tell you that I can't experience Pentecost for you? I can't experience the the baptism for you. When you look at everything that God did in this church... It happened because Acts 2.4 says they were all filled with the Spirit. They devoted themselves. Here's what I want. Here's what I really want. Listen, I've, I've been in Pentecost my whole life. I've seen God do incredible things. But what would be the most amazing thing to me is if the Holy Spirit would pour Himself out on us again. That we would have a fresh baptism and that the people around, the people that know you, the people that work with you, the people that live in this community, they would look at us and the testimony of the whole church would be they devoted themselves. 
You know what? More than I've ever seen before, that church is serious about God. They're committed to prayer. They're committed to fellowship. They're committed to the word of God. It's not just that the preacher's all lit and excited. It's not that they have good worship. It's not that that they do great outreaches. Those people are devoted. That's the evidence of a spirit-filled life. Those disciples who were running at night and hiding in the Garden of Gethsemane were now standing their ground and proclaiming the works of God. They were devoted. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be so full of the Spirit that you are unshakable. That your life is so grounded in the work of God that you're devoted. Devoted completely.